So Ephesians chapter 6, and we begin at the first verse as we listen again to the inerrant and infallible word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. May God add his blessing to this part of his word. Well, as I mentioned this morning, we come to that third part of hearing from God about Christian families. We've already considered verses one through three, uh, but we must not stop there hearing this word to children. We must not stop there because God doesn't stop there. God's word throughout the Bible is perfectly sufficient and perfectly balanced and comprehensive. And so we don't just have a word to children. They are mentioned first, again, because the theme here, all the way back from uh, chapter 5, verse 18, the theme here is the spirit-filled life shown particularly in submission out of reverence for Christ. And so children are mentioned first. But Christian parents have that God-given authority and responsibility over their own children. And so it's not a one-sided relationship. It's not a one-sided word here in the Bible. Children are called to submit in obedience to Christ, to their parents. But fathers, verse 4, fathers or parents must also exercise their authority in obedience to Christ. One commentator said that in ancient times, when things went wrong, all the blame was heaped on wives, children, or slaves. I wonder if that's just true of ancient times. One classical Greek author has a chapter in a book on ethics, and the title of the chapter is this, How Fathers Ought to Behave to Their Children. That struck me. We can have almost a complete focus on how our children are behaving or not. We can think of that word behave as applying only to children. But here in Ephesians 6 verse 4, it's as if God says to fathers, you need to behave as well. Are you a behaving parent, a father or a mother, especially with respect to raising your family? Here in Ephesians 6, verse 4, 
God is revealing to us what's involved in gospel families and particularly gospel and biblical parenting. It's not exclusive. It's not comprehensive. The, the whole Bible speaks to this in one way or another. This isn't uh, all that God has said, uh, but it certainly uh, gives us so many things to, to consider, to pray through this morning. And in verse 4, God is first telling you what not to do, and then what you should be doing. And lastly, he provides for us the whole focus and atmosphere and significance of parenting gospel families. Now, maybe we should first just have a word about the word fathers. And when we read that, we might think, well, are mothers here not included? Are they not in view at all? Uh, well, this word fathers, it, it's interesting, in Greek, in classical Greek, can actually be a word that at times uh, includes mothers as well. Uh, this word fathers is used, the Greek word in Hebrews 11.23, and we read, by faith, this is the NIV, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Literally, though, it says that Moses was hidden by his fathers. So you can see the potential breadth of that Greek word, because in that case with Moses, it was especially his mother who was involved in the hiding of baby Moses. And so it, it can be a word that includes mothers as well. But there is a Greek word for parents. Paul has already used it in verse 1. And so I think that there's a very likely emphasis here on fathers as well. In the Roman part of the Greco-Roman culture of Paul's day, the father had close to absolute authority over his children. That was sort of a big part of the cultural milieu of the day. Literally, he had the power of life or death over them. One historian says Roman law gave greater power to a father over his son than to a master over his slave. And so in a culture where, you know, perhaps people coming out of out of that situation had this sense of, well, fathers have an absolute power. This is maybe a word into that cultural situation that's partly in view, fathers. Biblically, we know fathers have a special authority in the home as well. Where two parents are involved, fathers are the heads of the home. And so perhaps Paul is reflecting that reality here in, in using that word fathers. But it may also perhaps be that fathers especially have to watch out for the warning here. It's not always true that authoritarianism or sinful parenting is the pitfall of only fathers or only mothers. But he does say fathers here. 
And so that's just something to consider. And so the fathers listening this morning, myself, as I said, I, it's always helpful to think, is this a particular word to me, a particular pitfall, especially as the head of a home, especially given that authority that I need to watch out for? Well, so how should fathers, how should parents, we remember some homes, we think of um, Lydia in Acts 16, uh, where uh, the mom, for different providential reasons, may be the head of the home. But how should fathers, how should parents behave then in gospel families? First, what not to do. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word literally means here, provoke to anger. It has the root word for anger. And here, if it's something a father shouldn't do, I think it's safe to say that this anger that a child is brought to can often be what the Bible would describe as righteous anger. Now, there are times as we're raising our children where children respond in anger and the fault is theirs. But what God is saying here through Paul is that fathers, parents can behave in a way that provokes children to anger. And I think at times righteous anger. Because the fault is with the father. Evidently. Now, whenever anger is involved, it may be the occasion for a child to sin as well. But the focus is on a sinful way of interacting with your children. That provokes them to anger, that exasperates them. That drives them to a, 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 out of your sin to a frustration. Don't be the cause of your children's righteous anger, God is saying, of of their needless frustration, of their discouragement, and then so often of their their bitterness. Colossians 3.21, a parallel text says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. There's some other dynamics there laid out. We can behave in a way to our children, with our children, that causes them to lose heart, to lose motivation, to feel like giving up. You need to remember, children begin life, as we all do, with little minds and little hearts, and they can easily be bruised and even crushed by unwise and sinful parenting. Do not provoke them to anger. It's it's wrong in itself. But a child provoked to anger is a doorway. It's like fuel for a whole forest fire of sin and misery in their lives and in the family and then in society. You know, the noun form of this word used, provoked to anger, is is used back in chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's the related word. And do not give the devil a foothold. If you're struggling with the seriousness and the consequences of what Paul is saying here in verse 4, remember that. Remember chapter 4, verse 27. You know, if the devil came somehow visibly uh, and knocked on the door of your house, would you let him in? No. Watch out for anger-producing parenting, which may give the devil a foothold in your family. Life is hard enough in a fallen world as our children are being raised in it. So many things can, as it were, beat up our children. The behavior of their parents shouldn't be one of them. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. There are many ways that this can be done. Uh, we can go through all of Scripture and, and glean some of these things. Some of them just uh, you know, come as we experience uh, life ourselves, as we see what happens in the world. I've gleaned just a few examples, practical examples from the wisdom of others and from personal experience and observation. We'll just, just mention a few quickly as, as we let this part of God's word uh, do its work in our hearts this morning. How, do you, how can you provoke your children to anger? We can do it by overly severe discipline. Overly severe discipline. The Bible has that principle, I mentioned it last time, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When people hear that, they think, well, that sounds very vengeful. Actually, it was given not as a law to promote excessive vengeance, but limiting excessive responses to sin, limiting them. Because man in sin tends to overreact. And so here's a warning against overly severe discipline. The punishment should fit the crime in court and at home. Some children have faced terrible consequences, harsh wrath for spilling the milk. That can provoke them to anger. Connected to that, there can be overly harsh demands placed on our children, asking too much of our children in terms of their maturity, their strength, their emotions. You're just setting them up for failure when you do that. There can be also negative a negative kind of parenting, a, a one-sided kind of parenting where there's only ever correction and rebuke and never encouragement or praise. That can fall under, don't exasperate your children. A parenting that's just constant nagging or condemnation. 
You know, the constant dripping of a leaky roof can exasperate a child as well as a spouse. Martin Luther said, keep an apple beside the rod. That's what he was getting at, a balanced kind of parenting. Do you only catch your kids when they're bad? I remember years ago hearing someone recommend, try catching your kids when they're good as well and mentioning it and encouraging it. Beware of one-sided parenting that can exasperate children. You need to watch out, of course, for unfairness or favoritism. Uh, if uh, Favoritism if there's more than one child in your family. Now, sometimes I know children can over-accuse their parents in this area. Uh, children are different, and so parented differently. And at times, there's more attention or different approaches given to one child or another. But the fact remains, we can be at times susceptible to favoritism. And we need to watch out for it, a sinful favoritism. Isn't that seen so often in cases in the Old Testament uh, with the bad consequences that flowed from it? Favoritism in families. Uh, Some have mentioned as well arbitrary discipline. Arbitrary discipline. A situation where one day it's one way and the next day it's something else in terms of how you're raising or how you're disciplining your children. Inconsistent parenting uh, places children in a, in a horribly hard situation and position. They must try to stand on shifting sand with their parents. Inconsistency can come from different causes, of course. Parental differences from mom or dad can lead to the inconsistency. Or just parental immaturity in ourselves of too many ups and downs in our lives and our children have to respond and react to that. One person said children are sometimes burdened by the necessity of reading a parent's moods. What's mom or dad going to be like today? And they have to try to figure that can exasperate our children. We need to watch out for humiliating our children. Sometimes that's done in public, where parents make even their own children uh, the butt of jokes. Sometimes they're used as embarrassing illustrations in their father's sermons. We need to to watch out for humiliating our children. We can be very sensitive to that, and rightly so. Do you remember Deuteronomy 25.3? But the judge must not impose more than 40 lashes. If the guilty party is flogged more than that, your fellow Israelite will be degraded in your eyes. God says, don't don't humiliate, don't degrade. Someone else said, quote, we need to watch out for all forms of gross insensitivity where a parent is not as sensitive as they should be to their child's situation or character or personality. It's a very helpful distinction that some have have taught that parents do well to keep in mind 
try to distinguish times when the behavior is that of a weak creature versus that of a rebellious sinner. Be sensitive. Sometimes our children are tired or sick or fearful, and we need to be sensitive to that. It's just the weakness of being a creature in a fallen world. At other times, though, they are truly intentionally disobedient. And we need to distinguish between those times. Wise parenting takes that into account. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Live with them according to understanding, the Greek says. Well, in the same way, live with your children according to understanding. As parents, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And of course, as we think about those things, there's sort of the, the pendulum can swing far the other way as well. Don't exasperate your children. There's a way to exasperate children by under-discipline or lack of discipline. Those are the two great biblical ends of the spectrum. Spare the rod, spoil the child. On the one hand, a lack of discipline. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. A, a wrong kind of discipline. Both those are wrong. Biblical parenting is found somewhere in between those two extremes. Now, do we just get a, a manual and find an answer for every situation and every particular child and do this and your children will be good and godly and saved? We don't have that. We just don't have it. Sometimes parenting courses, Christian parenting courses are presented that way. This is the way you do it. And these are the results that automatically flow from that. It's not the way it is, not the way it works. That, that denies at the very outset what we believe about the sovereignty of God and salvation for our children as well. But here is the other, and it's that beware of under-discipline or lack of discipline. You know what the word is for a child that is never disciplined. It's a, it's a word that's a very graphic word, but so apt in terms of what happens to a character. What do you call a child who's never disciplined? Spoiled. Spoiled. What a word. But it's very apt, isn't it? Spoiled. L'enfant gâté. I had to look it up in the French. L'enfant gâté, a spoiled child. If we don't discipline at all, it can ruin a child. They, they can adopt rotten attitudes and characters. What harm can come from simply doing nothing? Sometimes we're tempted to do nothing because it's just too much and we don't know what to do. We can't give up. Can't give up. And again, as we think of these different things, we need to remember, and if you're not a parent this morning listening, this verse, like the fifth commandment, is an example of all 
those relationships of authority and submission, family, school, work, church, state, in all of these different contexts, there can be a guilty provoking to anger of those. Even, you know, the catechism rhymes between equals. We can do this to each other, even if it isn't an authority structure. You can provoke other people to anger by the way that you're interacting with them. And think through some of the, the things that we've mentioned. You know, if we expand to governments, riots in Rotterdam last week are not excusable. But they're somewhat understandable. Provoking people to anger. Exasperating people. Maybe your next letter to the Premier of Ontario or to your Member of Parliament might include Ephesians 6, 4 as you try to make your point, if we're feeling a bit exasperated under some of the things that our, our government is, is uh, requiring of us. Church elders, this is explicit in the Bible. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Mark 10. Or 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And personally, as I mentioned, as we lead others in various ways or as we deal with one another as equals, you have to ask, am I an exasperating person? In my words, in my actions, in my expectations, in my criticisms, am I sinfully pushing other people's buttons? Are the people with whom I interact do they come away discouraged or encouraged by how I relate to them? Now, it's not always possible as much as it depends upon you live at peace with all men. As much as it depends on you, don't exasperate people. Uh, but we need to all take this to heart and think about this. Let me just have a word to, to the kids at this point, to the children. What if you have been exasperated? What if you are feeling really discouraged? If you're discouraged by how your parents have dealt with you, how should you respond? Well, two wrongs don't make a right. You're still your parents. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Pray for your parents. If it's something that really, really is bothering you, Find a good time if you're old enough to speak to your parents about it. Maybe speak to one of your elders about it. If you're coming with the right heart, you can come to one of your elders in the church or come to your pastor and talk about it. It's not gossiping if you're coming with the right heart. 
fathers, parents? Have you ever asked forgiveness from one of your children? Maybe you never have because you're the perfect father. Well, okay. But there's a place for that too. If Paul is saying this in Ephesians 6 verse 4 to fathers, there's a place for confession and asking for forgiveness from our children. What a great gospel lesson our kids would learn from a humble, repentant father. So instead of doing what is wrong or not doing anything at all, How should parents parent? Well, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The word bring them up there literally means to feed or to nourish them. That's true of physical needs, 1 Timothy 5.8. But it's also true of their intellectual life and their moral life and their emotional life and their spiritual life. Feed, nourish, raise, bring up. As the sense, of, one writer said, of, of doing that with tender love, warmth, and affection. And to do that in two ways. The NIV says training and instruction. The King James has the more memorable words maybe to you, nurture and admonition. Uh, some think that those are two words that just mean one thing. It's a figure of speech called a hendiadis, if you're up on figures of speech. Two words for one meaning, like, the classic one is if you go outside and it's a nice day, say it's nice and warm. Two things, but you're just saying one thing. It's nice and warm. But there are nuances in these words. The first is a very comprehensive word. It comes from classical writers for the training and education of a child. Everything that's involved in what you do as you train and educate a child. But there's also in this word, and especially biblically, the sense of discipline and correction. And so one, one writer looking at these words said that word nurture perhaps is too weak a word. And better to use the word discipline. Because there are times where, as we raise and nurture, it's not just always just positive nurturing because people are basically good, good will come from it. We are fallen sinners. And so this, this word for the, the raising and the training of a child also includes discipline. We don't have a romantic view of human nature or of our children. We're sinners. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, that's the same word here, will drive it far away. It's interesting that this same word for training or nurture is used eight times in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Eight times in those verses. And that's the whole passage about fathers disciplining their children. We need that discipline. It's encouraging and positive, but also rebuking and, and corrective. That's what the word of God is for us, isn't it? We Already read this. All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And the second word there, uh, instruction or admonition. It's training particularly by spoken word. The word here focuses on what is said. 
to put literally on someone's mind. That's this word for instruction or admonition. And again, it's two-sided. There's warning and there's counseling. There's instruction and there's correction. We need both. We need both. The nurture and admonition of the Lord, the training and instruction of the Lord. We've looked at what not to do, what to do, and last, I've already mentioned the whole focus and atmosphere and significance. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Of the Lord. It always has to come back to this. It always does. Submit out of reverence for Christ. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit as to the Lord, verse 22. And here, also, the training and instruction of the Lord. This isn't just good parenting advice for anyone indiscriminately in the world. These are gospel families. This is Christian parenting. All the training, all the teaching, all the correcting, all the counseling, all the warning revolves around the Lord. It teaches him as he's revealed in the scripture. It is parenting which calls our children as it is called their parents to Jesus, to faith and submission to Jesus, to knowing God as our heavenly father, as the children of God. It graciously includes confession and repentance and forgiveness and new obedience. You know, even to begin to preach even these verses on parenting and families. There's so much that we need to confess. I'm sure every Christian parent just cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, this sinner. But it, it, it is the training Instruction and training of the Lord. It, it, it's all permeated by the gospel. And it's to be done the way the Lord would do it, with Christ-likeness. Again, and with the fruit of the Spirit as we parent our children. Spurgeon said, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. It's the training and instruction of the Lord. It's toward the Lord, and it's in the Lord's way. But some have pointed out an even greater reality. The grammar here is, is interesting. It's not just in the Lord, it's of the Lord. And some have pointed out that this could very well mean it is his own training and teaching and admonishing. The grammatical form here can point to actually the reality of what the Lord does through, what the Lord himself does through the fathers, through the parents, as his representatives. You need to think back to the, the vows of church membership, the very first vow. Do you believe this child is a gift from God entrusted to your care? They're not our children. especially as Christians, they are holy, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. God claims them as his own. 
With the sin recorded in Ezekiel 16, in verse 21, God says, you slaughtered my children. They're his, entrusted to our care. This is the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it goes through you. You see, you're parenting that way. It's a transforming way to see it. You know, when you borrow a tool from someone or a car, let's say, don't you probably take better care of it than even you would have of your own? We do. These children in, in the church and our families are not our children. They've been given to us by the Lord. Whatever we're doing, it is the training and instruction of the Lord. Are you in line with what the Lord would do as he raises your children, as he teaches your children? We've sung about it in the Psalms that God is doing and he's teaching. God says, these are my children. And so in verse four, he says, behave when you parent them. Behave as you teach them and train them. And how wonderful it is to remember how God does raise his children. And that goes for the parents as well as the children. Children of God, remember how God treats you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isaiah 40. As we think of our parenting, think of how God is a father to his people. How he has been a father to you. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Do you speak tenderly to your children? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. He's never unrealistic or insensitive with us. He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. He constantly shows his affection to us in word and in deed. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He's never harsh. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He disciplines us. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. And listen as we close to Hebrews chapter 12 and think of your life as a child of God. And then if you're a parent or in all the other relationships of life, Think of how God has treated us. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, 
then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it.